us pray. <clears throat> Lord, I need you now. Come right now. And as we go into your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of your heart, our heart, be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our redeemer. For the last, last week, we start a new series and we began on the, what is commonly known to us as the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. The first bit of teaching of Jesus, formal teaching of Jesus, when his disciples were all gathered around him, and he sat down, and he began to, pre to teach them. And last week we looked at being poor in spirit. And all of us know what it is like to be poor in spirit, and some of us know what it's like to be poor physically. But Jesus, at this time, was think, talking about the spiritual poverty. And sometimes we do have the spiritual poverty in our lives. Today, we are going to look at verses 6 to 4 of the same chapter, Matthew Gospels, chapter 5. And we are going to be looking at those who mourn. And then the meek. And then those who hunger and are thirsting after righteousness. And at the end of the service, I want us to put ourselves in the best situation. Where do we stand in all this? When we hear the word mourn, we immediately think of images of death. Mourning suggests pain, grief, suffering caused by the evil one. And even sometimes, even maybe the death of a lost one, a loss of a job, a loss of a status you might have had, and we begin to mourn. We sometimes find it difficult to give up what we had before. Politicians, senior politicians, and persons in high power experience this type of mourning. They forget from whence they came. And when the journey changes, or that part of their journey has ended, they find it very difficult to come back down to the level ground. If we acknowledge that all our gifts and the blessings come from God, we will develop a special love and thankfulness for the work of Jesus Christ. 
This, however, produ produces mourning sometimes and regret over our own sins and the sins of the whole world. When we realize we have the hurt and someone has hurt us, sometimes we cannot understand the situation and we want to retaliate. But because of the grace of God that lives in us, that dwells in us, we go to the foot of the cross. In a way, mourning is similar to the labor pains, and you ladies know what I'm talking about. The pains associated with childbirth. We are pain and happiness complement each other. We have two opposite juxtaposition. We have the pain and we have the happiness. But there is pain over the problem which our sins have added to the trouble of mankind. While this successful birth brings joy over the forgiving work of God, as he pardons our sins and brings us into the wonderful bring him into the wonderful family, we mourn over the disasters on tribulations like the pains of childbirth. But we also look beyond the period of mourning to the hope, the joy, and the renewal of holding that new arrival in our hands. As we look around us in this troubled world, we realize that hope seems to be in short supply. But it can only serve us as an anchor to God, to whom we need to depend. In the Beatitude, therefore, we focus on God's people who were mourning at this time. And when we think about God's people, we tend to think about the children of Israel because they were God's chosen people. And they were in a situation of mourning. Things were getting hard. Things were tough. And they themselves were turning against the statutes and the laws and the commandments of God. At this time... Sadness and tragedy are constant companions in their life. And in this context, the mourning which leads to comfort in the kingdom is a mourning over the grace, disgrace of Israel and the reason for it. At this time, Israel was in the grips of perennial leadership ruled by wicked leaders who had turned their backs on God because of their sins. So Jesus had to come and announce that deliverance and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1 says, prophet tells us of God 
and the need for God's salvation. It says here, the prophet tells of a God who will wipe away all tears. Not some tears, but all tears. And not only that, he is not just going to dry all tears from our face. He is going to do something greater. He is going to destroy death. And the need for mourning and remove reproach from all the earth. Are you looking forward for that day when mourning will cease? When God will move reproach from this earth? Satan has no power, no dominion over us. Jesus is the final. Jesus came to bring us life. He comes, he came to put an end to our mourning. And you say, but what happens? Sometimes I still mourn. But yes, we will mourn. But we have a hope, a glorious hope. So when we mourn, we know that God is there. And in our own, we know too that Jesus, when the troubles of struggling and the time was coming for his life to be taken, but not taken because he was willing to make his life a sacrifice for us. And we are told that Jesus wept. And we are also told of another instance where Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. So it is all right to mourn. But we're not just mourning over our sins. We also mourn over the sins of the world. But we give God thanks for sending Jesus as a punishment for our sins. You know, in Isaiah chapter 55, 25, and verse 8, it reads, He will swallow up death forever. He will swallow up death forever. So when you love, your loved ones die, they have just fallen into a sleep. They die in Christ. And to die in Christ is to rise in newness of life. I tell my children, I am not going to die because I have a hope beyond the grave. I want to slip away quietly one night or wherever. I just want to go to sleep because death has lost its sting. And grave has lost his victory. And Jesus made that known. He declared that for us. So all we have to do, in despite of the hard times, when the morning comes, when the difficulty comes, we just need to go to Jesus 
When I came into the door a while ago, they were singing, all I need is Jesus. And Jesus is always there. Whenever we need him, he's forever present. And he said, you know, he will comfort those who mourn. Are you mourning today? Not only because of the, sin, the death of a loved one or the loss of a job or loss of a good friend. Or are you mourning over the sins of the world? If we accept and believe that God is alive, we cannot help but be sorry for our sins. Despite our sorry, God still offers us salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. While we continue to believe in Jesus, we still continue to mourn. We still continue to sin. We still continue to make mistakes. And why is that? Although we say we are saved, and although we say we are Christians, there is a part of us that is still human. This Paul said some time ago in his scripture, you know, the things I want to do, I do not do them. I find it hard to do them. But the things that I shouldn't do, he says, I find them so easy to do. But he didn't stop there, he said, but he thanked God who gives the victory. And all of, God, all of us at some point in time, we struggle with the inner man. We struggle with the carnal life. But we need to try to live as close as we can, as much as we can, to God. And we would learn to live because he has promised, blessed are you if you mourn in this life, you will be comforted. Are you looking forward for that day when Jesus Christ will comfort you and there will be no more pain, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more loss of a loved one, no more loss of a job. Everything will be fine and we will be eternally blessed, blessed forever. You know, sometimes in the West Indies, we like to sing this chorus, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. And you say to somebody, how are you today? And they will say to you, I'm blessed. Praise the Lord, I'm blessed. And then we look at the meek. And every one of us in here, I'm sure, would say, we are meek. We are meek people. But who are the meek? Psalms 37 verse 11 says, but the meek shall inherit the earth, the land, and enjoy peace. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So the psalmist was ahead of time. And it is for us in this time, we shall inherit the earth, the psalmist says, the land. What land we're going to find out are we talking about? In biblical context, the meek are those who have a spirit of gentleness and self-control. 
They are free from malice and a demeaning spirit. They do not exploit or oppress others. They do not resort to acts of vengeance and are nonviolent in nature. They never attempt to grab power to further their own ends or goals. Jesus is their principal focus to their lives and they learn from him by drinking deeply from the fountain of knowledge. They may be sorry, they may be kind-hearted and humble, but yet are strong enough to protect the needs of the poor and the oppressed. So are we weak people, weak in spirit, are we looking after the needs of the oppressed and who are in need? The beatitude promises that the meek will possess the land. But I wonder, what land is being referred to here? Probably the promised land. Throughout the Bible, there was a promise of land to the children of Israel. But obtaining the land means more than possession. It suggested a sense of security, ownership, and inheritance. And for some of us, land is very important. I know, for instance, in the Caribbean, and most of us, and I would think properly in the African country, continent, land is such a precious commodity to us. It's a sex realm. You know, your parent might have it, and they may not do anything with it, but they leave it for their children. My mom, that my mom's father died when she was a toddler. Her grandfather had given some money, some land to her mom. Her mom never sold the land. We farmed it. My mom and her sisters and brothers, they kept the land. They never sold the land. And I'm talking about years, years. And then before my mom died, I said to her, Mom, why are you not selling your land? And she said, I said, at least get a glass of milk off it. She said to me, you don't pay for land. Land does not rotten. Leave it there. And so when she died, she had not, well, we used to farm it, so we used to eat feed from it. But she always kept it in her safekeeping. And so when she died, we the children, we had to administrate on it. And now every one of us have our own parcel. And it is so precious to us. And sometimes when we talk about it, one says, oh, I'm going to sell. And the next one says, I'm going to sell. So land is a precious thing because the value continues to go up. And this is the case with the land God has promised the children of Israel. But we know there's cause for concern in the land of Israel. Who are the meek? And how does one join the privileged group? Galatians 5 and verse 22 says, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And we have to put on these in order to become meek, like Jesus would want us to be. Goodness, gentle, and meekness are created in the Christian by the Holy Spirit. So if you walk in the Spirit and allow the Spirit to guide and control your life, if you seek the kingdom first, as it says in Matthew, then all things you want will be added unto you. And God will give you everything. It means letting our bodies become channels, channels of blessing, channels through which God's Holy Spirit can move and touch life of others. Can we accept the gift of salvation and inheritance that he has so freely bestowed upon us? Psalms 51 and verse 17 says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Think about your heart now. Think about your spirit. Is it broken for the things of God? David, when he sinned, he had to go back to God. And he confessed his sins to God. And God forgave him his sins. And it is said that he was a man after God's own heart. What can be said about the gospel according to you? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Some of you have been here since nine. Are you hungry? Are you waiting to go home for the physical food? Hunger and thirst are two of man's basic needs. It is also suggested if you make the effort and sow the seed, God will nourish it and cause it to increase throughout limitless blessing. The saying here strongly reminds us of the exhortation of the Lord in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. This implies is here is that they who are hungry for things of God and seek his kingdom, they will be filled by the works of righteousness. What is righteousness? It says that we will be blessed, hunger and thirst after righteousness. What is righteousness? We know right means to do 
that which is right, right, the correct thing. So are we hungering and are we thirsting after righteousness? We need to become hungry for the word of God. We need to become hungry to serve God and to do his will and to grow in the knowledge of him. You know, when we find something that we eat and we find a restaurant that serves the food we like, we continue to patronize that company. We'd go there this weekend and then we tell somebody and we send somebody. Well, what God is saying to us, when we find Jesus and he has filled us, we need to become more hungry. We don't get full all at once. We continue to feed upon the word of God and drink from the fountain that never runs dry. And the longer you serve Jesus, the deeper you get into relationship with God. And the more you read his Bible, the Bible, the more you want to read the Bible. And one songwriter says that every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Are you reading your Bible daily? Are you drinking at the fountain of life? Are your soul being quenched from thirst? He said, come on to me if you're thirsty. Come on to me and come to the waters. You who have no money, don't let that stop you. Don't let that hinder you. Come, buy meat. Buy meat and eat. Come. And just only don't buy meat. He says, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is the kind of God we serve. So why do we wait? Why do we linger? Once we are able to accept the invitation to the thirsty and the hungry and put on God first in all we do, other doors will open and we will be able to lead others to the kingdom of God. We may not respond instantly, but we have a, the certainty that if it, it will happen in the future, as he established his reign of righteousness, it is often said that we don't always get what we desire because we sometimes do not ask in faith. Sometimes it is only when things are not going smoothly that we call out to God and his. This should not be the case. God is forever saying to us, come. Are you hungry? Come. Are you thirsty? Come. My father's house is full, it's rich, it's bounteous. There's a banquet spread. Jesus said to them, go into the highways and the byways and bring them in. There's plenty for you 
for me and the whole world. Don't hunger and thirst for the things of this world because they are only temporary. They will we'll have them today and tomorrow they might just disappear. But the only thing in life is the Holy Spirit indwelling in our lives. Everything else we'll leave behind. The only thing we take with us, and can you imagine when we reach in that glorious land, and when we reach and we see the people sitting here beside us, and you say, we used to go to Trinity together. What a blessed day that will be, one songwriter said, when the Savior we shall see. When I look upon his face, are you looking for that day? Are you hungering and thirsting for him? Are you hungering and thirsting for the things of the world? During this time of Lent, lots of people fast. Lots of people pray. Are we praying? Are we sacrificing a meal or two for other people in the world? who don't have the food and the drink that we have. God may not respond instantly, but he will. As we have certainly that it will happen in the future, when he establishes his reign of righteousness, it is often said we don't always get everything, but we will get what God desires. As a Christian, if you are not hungry for the things of God, you stagnate. You don't grow. You may even become complacent. I'm all right. I'm safe. And that's all matters. But I'm telling you today, it doesn't all matters. You could be saved, yes. And when we are saved, we do sin, and we still make mistakes, because we still have the carnal nature. But we have some place to go. We have some place to go. When we do the wrong thing and we acknowledge it before God, we have some place to go. And our sins are covered, covered by the blood. There are many things in life that are can extinguish our desire to know God. For example, people can hurt you and get angry with you and you want to retaliate. But you know, a soft answer, a meek, the meekness, the poor in spirit, the mourning person, we will pray. We don't give back what we get. We pray. Bitterness prevents us from hungering for God. We have to replace this with forgiveness. Somebody said, I can forgive you, but I will never forget. And if you'll never forget, you are holding a grudge. 
So if somebody has done you wrong and you've taken it to Jesus, leave it there. Leave it there. Clear your conscience. Live your life in the beauty of holiness and let that person deal with it. But you leave it there. Take it to the cross and leave it there. A lot of us take it on our shoulder and we walk with it. But the Bible says we must forgive. Jesus doesn't, he forgives not like human because he forgives and he forgets. You know, I want to know God. Sometimes I get hungry for the word. And the more I get hungry, sometimes you get into some of these books of the Bibles and you begin to read and you find yourself finishing the whole book because it gets sweeter and you taste it and you see it and you know it is good. And you know, Paul said, I want to know God. Do you want to know God today? I want to know God in the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in that power because one day too, his power will resurrect me. And to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And we all live with that hope. We want to know him in the power of the resurrection. A child said to me one day, Miss, I always see you with this pink Bible. She said, he said, are you a Christian? I said, yes. And I said, who are you? He said, I'm a Muslim. He said, how many times do you pray? I said, how many times do you pray? He said, I pray five times a day. He said, tell me how many times do you pray? I say, I pray every minute of the day. He said, you can't pray every minute of the day. I say, I can pray every minute of the day. I say, as long as I have breath, I can pray. I say, I don't have to wash all the time. I don't have to change my clothes all the time. I don't have to cover my head all the time. I don't have to have a secret room all the time. I say, wherever I am, I'll praise him. He said, miss... You know, I travel on the bus with you. I said, really? But I know he did. He said, and I see you on the bus sometimes, talking to people. And you got the spring Bible open. He says, what are you telling them? I said, I'm telling them that Jesus arose from the dead. He died for our sins and he lives. He says, what do you mean about that? I said, well, you know. We as Christians have the proof and the belief that Jesus died for our sins. And he rose again on the third day. I said, what do you have? And he said, miss, what do you mean? I said, did Muhammad rise? He said, I don't know. 
I say, well, when you go home, you ask your mom if Muhammad rose from the dead. Because they, they look at you, these young children, they look at you and they want to test your faith. And I said to him, I pray every minute of the day. And he find it hard to understand. But you know, brothers and sisters, we can pray every minute of the day. Because you, you can be praying for me right now where you're sitting. You can be asking God to give us strength, Lord, just where you're sitting. It doesn't always have to be loud out. Pray within your heart. And I know, like Matthew 4 says, Jesus said, man should not live by bread alone. Are you hungry? Are you thirsting? Feed on the word of God. He fasted 40 days. And when the devil came to tempt him with bread, he refused. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, even though we hunger in this life, we must still be careful how we satisfy our appetite. Hunger and thirst always lead our attention as they are the same of the basic human need, some of the basic human needs. However, sometimes it is necessary to suppress our basic human needs and replace them with the spirit-filled needs. God directed ones. During the, his time on earth, Jesus wasn't interested in the material things. But we know he was the servant king. His father's business was his priority. He was hungry and thirsty only for the things of God and the kingdom to come on earth. And we too should be like him. The truth is, the more we learn about the word and allow it to dwell in us, the more we desire to know. What are you hungering for today? What are you thirsting for today? Does it satisfy you? Are your satisfaction being filled? What response are you waiting for from God? As we become mature Christians and we continue to feed on the word and drink from the fountain, we are encouraged to say like the songwriter, we taste we taste thee, O thou living bread, and long to feast upon you still. We drink of thee, the fountainhead, and thirst our souls from thee to fill. And may God continue as we go through this series to help us to be poor, to be meek, to mourn, and to thirst and hunger for righteousness. And if we notice, every one of these blessings 
has something for now and something for the future. Can we say them together? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Do we know them? Yes, let's say them together. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the... Blessed are they and thirst after righteousness, for this is the kingdom and heaven. And those are promises are for us. So we have a promise on earth, and we have the future promise. There's a present promise, and there's a future promise. I'm looking for the future promise. I'm looking for the day when I can truly say, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, hallelujah, I'm blessed. And I hope you are having that same promise, that same hope, that one day we all will get to glory land, that new Jerusalem, that new Jerusalem, and we will be able to say, I have endured suffering, I have endured pain. I have endured hardship. I have endured hunger. I have endured meekness. I have endured mourning. But the time has come when God has removed every tear from my eye. And I'm blessed. Hallelujah. I'm blessed. Let us pray. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness. And it, has do, and it has doth satisfy me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O oh God, the triune God. I want to. I want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up my love, my fear one and come away. Then give me grace and rise to rise and follow. The up from the misty lowland where I have wandered so long. So give me grace that I might rise and follow. Up from the lowland where I have wandered so long. And that prayer was written by A.W. Tosa. And may God bless us for his name and mercy's sake. Amen.